Welcome to Direct-to-Video DVD Extras, a podcast between podcasts where we talk about whatever we want. Now, where's the button on this thing? So I'm excited about this uh, series of unfortunate events adaptation, even if... Yeah, there's I got a little bit of worries in the trailers, but I, I'm, I'm overall excited. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm probably going to be into it. I think one thing that the trailers do do something that the trailers tell me about the show that is definitely almost not in the books at all is the through line that they do start investigating the whole secret organization thing almost since the beginning. Yeah, that doesn't happen until the... Way late in the book sixth, series. Uh, well, what happens is, because I'm at the sixth book now, um, is um, Duncan and Isabella are looking into what Count Olaf has done in the past and yeah. they discover VFD and then they're kidnapped and they can't tell the orphans about it but the Baudelaire's know VFD they just don't know what it is yet I don't think they really start to learn about it until they. I think they do some investigating in the 7th book but I think it's not until like the 11th that they get some like real headway yeah no it, it, it isn't um but I, I'm curious to see how they're going to handle this then. One thing that I am excited about is a lot of the actors in these trailers are very good actors who I recognize from other stuff. And I'm, I'm curious if they're going to do, if they're going to hire these famous actors to do these bit roles. Because I, I would really love that. I don't know how long a book is going to be. Do you know how many episodes they're releasing? I guess it's a question. I don't, but I do know that they are tackling four books per season. Right. So if in so, but the question is like, is a season twelve or nine or twenty four or what? It's probably not twenty four. It's a Netflix season. Netflix is so weird that I wouldn't be surprised if they just released each book as an individual episode, Sherlock style. Mm. Yeah, it could be just like a could be just like an hour and a half. Yeah. Just four episodes. So they they could... And Netflix, because it's streaming only on Netflix, they could do that weird thing. And I hope they do. That would be very exciting. I still haven't watched uh, Luke Cage. I haven't either, because I haven't watched Daredevil Season 2. I did finish Jessica Jones, though, which... I don't care. I like I like started watching Daredevil, and I think I told you this. They, like, immediately started doing very violent stuff that I felt was completely yeah. unearned. And I was like, you can't just you can't just put me in here saying, these are the stakes, trust me. Yeah. I just felt like that was, that was, like, bad storytelling. And so I got out of it. But I loved, I loved Jessica Jones. Um, sort of a psychological superhero. Yeah, story, Jessica though. Jones was very heavy. Uh-huh. And it makes me very... It makes me appreciate David Tennant as an actor because he's so good in that show. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's going to make it really hard to go watch Doctor Who again. My mom had a, uh, she had like a calendar, and each calendar had David Tennant's had like a snapshot of David Tennant on it. It was like just his head, like a portrait. And nice. man, that fucker would make me jump. Yeah. Because he's scary to me now. Not so, like, not yeah. like jump scare, but like see him out of the corner of your eye. You don't, you don't want the purple man walking towards you. Yeah, you don't want to be in that room. 
So there's an amazing moment at the very last ep- spoilers for Jessica Jones. Yeah, we. Yeah, I heavy spoilers. Much, I think it was much more forgivable to do spoilers for a series of unfortunate events. It's been like ten years. But I and I'm not going to say anything like major spoilers. But I do want to talk about this brief moment. There is a moment in the very final episode of Jessica Jones where David Tennant's character goes through uh, every emotion a person could possibly go through in the span of about ten seconds. Yeah. Where he goes from being angry to being genuinely surprised to being sad to being happy to being sad again. And I'm talking the final moments of the show. Mm-hmm. And and the way he was able to go through that so fluidly, uh, A, amazing acting. B, made his character infinitely more terrifying. Oh, yeah. And what I would want out of a Count Olaf performance is that. Is that ability to go from ex- ex- uh, ecstasy to deep-seated hatred so fluidly because that is terrifying and that's that's an abusive relationship right well except count all yes that was because the whole point of um the whole point of jessica jones was to sort of outline this to portray that dynamic portray the dynamic of an abusive relationship and the stuff like people say well why didn't you just leave and the answer is i couldn't you know um and how you, as a as a audience, as an audience member, start to feel bad for David Tennant's character. You start to um, you start, sympathize, you sympathize with and him. even empathize with him. And then you have to remind yourself: No, this guy is the worst. He's wrong. Yeah. And but that's the thing, though is is there there is a definite parallel, although the relationship is different uh, between having an abusive partner. And having an abusive parental figure, because the in, in a way the orphans go through that phase where, um, where everyone is so charmed by Count Olaf that when the children try to say no, he's hurting us, he's hurting us. Nobody believes them to such an extent that they have to go out and do the work themselves every time, every mm-hmm. time. And at the end of the series. He, they have this weird moment with him where he's the only one who has gone through everything they've gone through. And they're like literally alone on an island with him. With him. And, And then it's over, you know? Their reaction to... The, the weird thing, the weirdest goddamn thing about that last book is I was genuinely sad when Count Olaf died. I had mixed feelings. Not because I had empathy for his character or because I was sad that he died, but because, like, he was the last adult they could turn to. Yeah, even though they could, basically they could turn to him because he was predictable in a way. Like, they always know what Count Olaf's yeah. gonna do. Even if what he does is terrible. It's it's terrible, it's wrong, it's abhorrent, but by the end of the series, it was a constant, and then it was just gone. Right. And then it's like they're orphans again. Yeah, and, and there's something scary about that, that how even after all this time of all this time that has passed of them genuinely hating this character, him being gone was was just that was them losing another parent. 
and that's that's sort of covered and it's sort of about the um the unknown this big unknown yeah which is sort of lemony snicket's way of tell of telling the reader i'm not going to tell you about vfd yeah the baudelaire orphans do not get to find out the, these great mysteries this is this is the unknown this is where the orphans are and this is I also have a I also have a personal theory and the reason I'm reading through all these books again is so I can check to see if it matches up. My theory is Yeah. Have you ever read the Beatrice letters? I read a couple of them uh at a Barnes and Noble, but I didn't want to commit thought crime so I never finished. Sure. In the Beatrice letters, there's a letter f- to f- to Beatrice from Lemony Snicket, usually a love letter. Sometimes it's something a little bit more dire than that. And then there's a letter from Beatrice. Yeah. But not that Beatrice. The other Beatrice. The child the Baudelaire's raise. To Lemony Snicket. Saying, please find my family. And just letters like this going on and on throughout it. My personal theory is that the reason that he is... The reason that he is researching the Baudelaire's and the reason that he always even though he goes to all these places they're always like abandoned like he talks about how uh Lucky Smells Lumber Mill isn't running anymore or Uncle Monty's house is empty now and and, and stuff like that um the reason why he's so late isn't because he's just behind them he's like 10 or 20 years behind them trying to find out what happened to them that they that Beatrice is lost and he is doing it for her his niece but he's doing it for her in memory of their mother which is why at the beginning of the which is why in the forward he's always talking not the be, not the forward the um help me out here epilogues no not the epilogues in the very beginning um the four what do they call that? The prologue? No, 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 no. There's just like a sentence for Beatrice. Oh, the dedication. Yeah, the dedication. That's why the dedication's always to Beatrice. Because he's he's, do, he's doing it for his dead Beatrice. But also... As a favor to the alive Beatrice, basically. That's... Well, I mean, like, you, you saying it out loud makes me kind of think, well, duh, but at the same time, these aren't thoughts that I put together. That being said... The moment in the books when I did when I stopped thinking that Lemony Snicket was right behind the kids was in the twelfth uh, book because in the twelfth book he mentions uh, that he was the taxi driver. Oh, and the way he talks about that made kind of snapped into my brain. Oh, he's not right behind them. This is this is like a deep investigation years after the fact because otherwise he wouldn't look back on that memory so forlornly because he the way he looks back on that memory he's like i should have done something different i didn't know what i know now Mm -hmm. and he regrets and he regrets that and here's the thing his personal situation is really up in the air right now whatever has happened in the past however many years yeah it's been rough because as i'm reading the ursa's elevator he is typing it in a typewriter factory that he's hiding out in from the police 
because he had to get away from his own execution. Yeah, at one point he mentions that he was framed for arson. Yes. This also means that his siblings have been dead for a long time. Which? Both of them. I think... Because um, it, it's always bothered me that the story ends in with the 13th book. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that that mystery of never knowing uh, of the Baudelaire's losing losing Count Olaf that that in that final moment the Baudelaire's stop being stop being orphans and start being parents yeah and and that moment is very important because they are adults now which means there's more that the fact un- that one of them is like maybe two. yeah is like is like a baby but yeah but the but meant the in terms of where the story is, they're 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 adults now, and the thing about being an adult is you never know what comes next. Exactly. There's this moment of at the at the end, you sort of realize that's life in that's real being... life. You don't get that perfect bow tying everything together, and a lot of times the Lemony Snicket books did not feel like real life, but they were also never going to be a perfect story tying everything together. Yeah, the, it was never going to be The Littlest Elf. That's what we knew when we picked up the book. He tells you that at the beginning of every book. Every book. Every book. But And even, the thing is, by is the even way, though he... Yeah. By the way, he's the one author that I genuinely don't think I could write in his style if I dedicated myself to it. Yeah. I couldn't... I laughed out loud a lot of times in the fifth book. Okay? (laughs) Yeah. In the fifth book, two children get kidnapped, and they have a murderer, and and the Baudelaire orphans have a murderer on their tail all book, and it was hilarious. I would not be able to write like that. I don't... I couldn't make stakes that terrible and still have it something that kids could read and not like stay up all night thinking about which is maybe maybe that's why maybe that's why neil patrick harris plays like a more goofy count olaf yeah i don't know well and again there there are things that you can i don't know there are things that somebody can do in a book that when they do it in a book uh your brain processes it as an action but you don't you don't get the full effect of what's happening sure but but when you see somebody do it, when you see somebody just like physically in front of you do an action, that can be a lot more visceral because your brain can't put a buffer over that image. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. image is there and it's and it's kind of burned into your brain. And I think I think they have to be really careful with doing this as a visual show because like even in the Jim Carrey movie, there was there were a lot of moments in that movie where Jim Carrey was frightening to the point that I would not show that movie to a kid. My little cousin, she's a big reader, has not read any of these books because the movie scared her. Yeah. And if I had known that, I would have told my aunt, "Don't don't take her to that movie. It's not good." Like that's all I would have said. Like that's a it's not a good movie. No, which is a goddamn shame because It's a shame. Um, it, it could I, have been good. I love the costumes in that movie. Yeah, which... I love the set design. It seems like this show really took that aesthetic in stride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Although, that's, that's what I think I like best about about it, just as far as I can tell right now. I, I, did, get a, I did get a sense of place from 
from this show more so than the movie. Oh. Yeah, I. Where do you? Where's your place? Uh, San Francisco. Because of the trolleys. Not just because of the trolleys, but because after once I saw the trolley, I realized San Francisco has a lot of weird Gothic architecture in their uptown. Hmm. And it's if it's them uptown. going from San Francisco east, then the desert makes sense too. The Last Chance General Store. But we don't know how far away the Vile Village is from. Well, the sawmill could be in is is only like only a little bit north of San Francisco. There's huge dense forest. This is, but it's not a dense forest. It's like a forest that doesn't have any branches on any of the trees. Move a it's little not, south. It's not like a good looking forest. Okay, that's, that's kind of interesting. But that's the thing is, is I I get a very like it's only just now after seeing that trolley that I that I realize holy shit like it's San Francisco. It, it's yeah. a weird gothic san francisco hmm. but i can't i kind of can't separate it out of my mind now that's an interesting idea i think that the time period is the 80s and let me tell you why i missed this the first time i read the austere academy but yeah. in the austere academy everybody's saying count Olaf can't get in here we have an advanced computer system yeah and the computer system is literally they turn on the computer and there's a picture of count Olaf. And it's described as greenish. And I just thought, this has to be the 80s because, one, that's when people had green screens. Yeah, vector monitors. Yeah. And, two, that's when people thought computers could do anything. <laughs> that's when people, people who were smart in other aspects, genuinely believed that their lights could be hacked. Which they can today, by the way, if you yeah, have, if you have like, uh, Hue Echo light bulbs. Or yeah. No, there's a brand of light bulb called Hue that its whole thing is you can program it to change lighting and stuff. And if you hack into that, you can just have those lights go crazy. Sometimes it really feels like reality is setting itself up to be a dystopia movie. Yeah, I, I recently just got my hair cut so that I had uh, my bangs only fall over one eye. That way, once the dystopia comes, I can just start dying at crazy colors and be in that mode. Good job. I appreciate that. Yeah. I like thinking ahead. I'm thinking I'm just going to get a big dog. That's uh, that's more proactive just, than what I did. It's not because I want the big dog to protect me. It's that if I get a big dog, I think there's a smaller chance that I'll be killed off. Because then more will happen to that dog. Understandable. You don't, you don't know. I don't know. It could uh, Jack London its way uh, to the north and become wild something? and free. You and I thought of the name Jack London at the same time. I was going to be like, maybe Jack London's <laughs> writing this book. He wouldn't kill the dog. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Oh, man. Shared consciousness. I mean, if you're the if you're gonna if you're gonna read a book about dogs, you got to go to Jack London. He did like three that are awesome. You know, never. I don't think I ever read uh, one of the full books. I got like White Fang when what? I was like seven, and you can't give White Fang to a seven year old. Yeah, I read White Fang when I was way too young. Oh, I tried going back when I was in like high school, and there's this weird jarring thing that I couldn't not see. Because it was something I'd been taught never to do. Whenever somebody says something in, I think it was, I think it was in White Fang, it doesn't say said. It said complained or expectorated or like yeah. any word other than said, which you're taught 
as a writer, they say never do that because those are said is just the word that your reader will jump over. Like, oh, they're talking. Yeah. Oh, they're talking. And if yeah. you put a different word there, they're going to focus on it. So you should only do that if they say something important. And I guess I guess the thought at the time, like the school of thought at the time was different. And so he wrote in that way. And it was just very jarring to me. Maybe I could listen to it. I don't know. Yeah. Something, something to note about Jack London is he, A, he wrote science fiction. That's a thing that he used to do before he started really? writing like natural fiction or nature fiction. Yeah, he 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 wrote some pieces of of science fiction that I I read one and it it he's got a knack for it or he had right. a knack for it. I guess he's dead now. But okay, getting real, getting real up in here. But come on, Jack London wrote his books what like the nineteen thirties. Please welcome our special guest, Jack London. I would do a voice, but I genuinely don't even know what he would sound like. If you don't know what he's going to sound like, nobody else does. I don't. I would imagine him sounding like Hugh Laurie in House. Do a Hugh Laurie voice. I I'm not. I don't. I can't do a Hugh Laurie in House voice. Oh my god! Then do a Hugh Laurie in England voice. But then it's not Jack London. He could be English. I don't think he's he not. was. I'm pretty sure he was American. No, he was. He was very American. Yeah, he's like as American as you can get. He lived most of his life in California and spent like three months in Alaska, and then he wrote about Alaska all the time after that. <laughs> That's what I find entertaining about him. To He's be fair, like, Alaska doesn't this change place is much. Beautiful. I'm leaving. There, there is something to say about, uh, at least about White Fang and Call of the Wild, and that's that people don't talk much in those books. Mm-hmm. And when They're people really only people on White Fang in the prologue. Yeah, and in. And when people do talk, I think one of the reasons, um, if he's not just using big words just to use big words, a good reason to do that is is to remind you that people talking is weird to a dog. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. And the character that is the dog doesn't necessarily understand what it is that those people are saying. Hmm. All that dog understands is the tone. So what the dog gets is... He's exclaiming, he's uh, expectorating, he's saying, he's breathing. But the words that we, the audience, get, the dog doesn't get that. So, I don't know, food that's for an thought. That's interesting viewpoint. Yeah, smarter people yeah. than me would, I'm sure, have talked about this. But that's the feeling I get. I think this is good. Yeah, I think this has been good. Didn't figure out a sign-off phrase. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of something like a, like... That has to do with ejecting a VHS, but uh, there's just no way of parsing that fluidly in a way that sounds kind of cool and slangy. Like, well, I guess yeah. it's time to eject that old VHS tape. Guess it's time to hit that old dusty trail, pop out the VHS tape, and head on home. Yeah, like, you don't have it. to go home, but you can't stay here. Yeah, uh, I guess uh, I guess it's time to return the this to the rental store or something. I don't know. Yeah, that was uh, that's a bad one. Though. If it all feels very artificial, I think we should just kind of let things lie. And one, we'll just kind of fall into it, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it starts artificial and then it becomes natural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I would, I would. That sounds like something that could be unfortunate if taken out of context. Oh. Wow! Look at you not muting your phone. Sorry. And after Sorry. giving me Sorry. shit, after giving me so much shit for not muting my phone, how dare you? 
Vita feels like I ask for cold remedies every year. Well, I fucking do, Vita. It's cold, and I have a cold, and I don't like it. Do you do you get sick on a yearly basis? Is a year for six months? How do you get sick that often? I genuinely, like, I used to get sick, like, four or five times a year when I was in high school. What? Um, and now I get sick, like, maybe once a year. I remember my first year out of high school, I was, like, fucking healthy, and I was like, what's happening? Um, and I'll tell you what was happening. One, I was near less gross people, and two, I think I was, like, a lot less stressed, so my immune system was better. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that if I, I never get sick, but if I do have to go to the doctor, it's usually for a medical emergency. Right. See, I get sick every once in a while, but I still have my appendix. Well, your body doesn't need it, you know? You can always just say, hey, you know, I got something for you. Just saying. What was that? What was this? Was, am I, like, hitting on the doctor? Hey, baby, you want an <laughs> appendix? Because I don't. I don't know. There are weirder ways to hit on doctors. Like, at all. While you're in their office. I mean, I guess there probably are. A lot of them are probably more straightforward, because a lot of doctors will have you get naked. That's true. This is a topic that we shouldn't be on. No. <laughs> but I think, I, think, I think we did some good work today. I was going to say, I feel like we're closing out. Is that what's happening? Are yes. We... I... It is almost 11, and I have class yeah, it's tomorrow. Like one here. Yes. Okay. So, should. Who does it? Do I do it first? Or do you do, you do, do it what first? first? Oh, right. Fuck. Uh, wanna, I'm signing off. Do you want to, like, fucking sign off or what? Yeah, no, no, for sure, for sure. I just. I keep forgetting that it's a thing. Thank you for listening to Direct to Video. VHS? VHS? Title card DVD extras. I have been your host, Tony Robusto. And I have been your other host. And, uh... Wow, really? I get nothing? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fine. No, keep going. And I have been your other host, Andres, Prisoner of Azkaban is actually the best movie, Reyes. It's a long nickname, but... That's gonna be in there. Every episode. There's gonna be you saying that and me gagging. (laughs) So congratulations. Hey. You can find me at TheaterVats on Twitter with an E-R, if you please. <laughs> and you can find me at Royalty Valens. That's Royalty underscore Valens. The underscore is important. You can find the podcast at Direct2.video. So please be sure to check us out on iTunes, Google Play. Give us that sweet, sweet five-star rating. Yeah, I guess that's it. Bye, guys. <laughs>